So please turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We'll be in verses 25 through 37 of Luke chapter 10. Very familiar passage, the parable of the Good Samaritan. This highlights the mercy ministry of Christ as he does this through a parable. And I think in turn teaches us not only of his mercy, but how we ought to show mercy to the world. And so I thought this would be a great um, springboard for us to talk about as a church, how we can be showing that mercy to our community before we begin our series in the book of Acts. So before we go to this passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with it. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, as we come to this parable that you told many standing around, Pharisees, your disciples, just many in the crowd, concerning ministry and works of ministry and and mercy, pray, Lord, that you would help us in particular with this passage as it's one that all of us know and have been taught in many ways over the course of our lives and we pray that you would give us fresh insight and a fresh look that we would not be bound to our tradition but we would be bound to the truth of your word and that you would take it and mold us and that you would use us that we might show mercy to others in your name we pray amen so just quickly to begin talking about this concept of mercy. Mercy is a a word that is used in many different ways depending on how and what circles you're in. Uh, I think most of us, we have a particular idea of what we think of when when we hear the word mercy. I think we immediately think of it within our Christian context for sure. We probably think in, in the sense that God showed us mercy by sending his son to be a ransom for our sins, as we've highlighted several times already in the service. We think of God's mercy and sparing us from physical harm, maybe, or a bad storm or some financial problem or whatever it might be. Uh, God's mercy in that. Uh, I think in some secular connotations, you may, uh, a lot of times it may be seen as weak to show mercy. You know, you think of some... Uh, funny movies like the Karate Kid, the, the Sensei telling them that mercy is for the weak. You know, we know no mercy is what they show. That's the battle cry. You know, it's some sort of villain that usually says that, but it's amazing how, how much that will seep into just the normal thought of everyday people. I think the word is used in many different connotations, but scripture has a very particular way of showing us what mercy is and what of looking at mercy. And in this passage today, I think our Lord Jesus paints a very vivid picture of what mercy looks like, as he was often uh, willing to do to the people around to help them to understand the, his teachings and the truth of Scripture. And I think it shows us both mercy in the, in the perspective of God toward man, as well as how man should be merciful to other men. Mercy is basically when we don't get what we deserve. That is a very simple definition of mercy. When we don't get what we deserve, God's mercy toward us is shown most vividly in sending his son to pay for our sins. 
We're going to see that type of mercy in this passage, that God is the one who showed us mercy. Secondly, I think we're going to see the kind of mercy that a person has toward another and how Christ is calling us to that kind of mercy in our interactions with others around us. Showing mercy to others is not just for those who are especially gifted at it. I do recognize that some people are particularly gifted at this, but it is also a calling that is essential to our faith in Christ. We all should be doing this. Throughout the gospel, Jesus makes this abundantly clear. We are to be the ones that show mercy. And so with that, in this text, I want to consider two main ideas. Jesus, who is the ultimate good Samaritan. And then secondly, answering the question, who is our neighbor? And so with that, please stand with me as we read from God's word, the text in Luke Chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. For a little bit of context here from the first part of Luke 10 and kind of where we're at in the book of Luke, there's a what's going on here. The disciples had just been sent out to do the ministry. He sent out these this group of disciples who were to go out into the cities and preaching the gospel, the message of repent and believe, the Lord is is there. And so they are now returning with news, and the news is, well, even the demons obeyed them. Even the demons would run and flee when these disciples would go out into the towns and preach the gospels. Preach the gospel. And so Jesus responds to this. Look at verses 17 through 20 of of Luke 10. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So what does Jesus, how does he respond? Well, he tells them that their names are written in heaven. Pretty incredible, speaking about the salvation of these men and women who went out to do his ministry. Imagine the many around who are standing around hearing Jesus say these things. Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth. Jesus, who has this following of people, now is telling people that he knows for sure that their names are written in the book of heaven. That the serpents and the demons responding to them is one thing, but their names being written in this book is something completely other. Skip down to 23 and 24. After he he praised the Lord and he prayed to them, and then here he says, Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see. And did not see it. And to hear what you hear. And did not hear it. So what is Jesus saying? Basically what he's saying is everything in the Old Testament looked forward to what is going on right now. It looked forward to one person and that person is here right in front of you. He's talking about himself. Now at this point, this lawyer hears all of this. Hears that Jesus announces that these people, their name is written in heaven. Hears that Jesus is saying these things to the disciples and see what's going on here. And so he does not like what Jesus has to say. That brings us to our first point. God is the one who showed mercy. Jesus being the ultimate good Samaritan. So this lawyer stands up and challenges Jesus, which we think of the audacity to do that. But he... He does. He stands up and he says, who or what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Hearing this, uh, Jesus uh, responds, but you can imagine what's going on in in this lawyer's mind. I mean, he knows the law, right? Um, He says, he's basically, can you imagine him saying, I know what the law says, but you seem to be saying something different. Maybe this lawyer doesn't quite understand the the continuity of the old and new. So Jesus answers a question with a question, like he usually does. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? This is a tailor-made question for a lawyer, right? They should know exactly what the law says. They should be the best interpreters of the law. This is how they do their thing. We can only assume that he should know the law backwards and forwards. And so his answer to Jesus is a very concise summary of the entire Mosaic law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is a good answer. In fact, this is the very answer that Jesus gives when he's asked to summarize the entire law. And so Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Or we need to stop for a minute. Do this, and you will live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you will live. And something that we've all memorized is the greatest commandment, right? 
Jesus uses this in a couple places in the gospel. We'd like to think that we live our lives in such a way that we love God this way with all of our heart and soul, mind and strength. But have you ever stopped to really look and examine what that verse may be asking of us? Can we possibly do that in and of ourselves? Do we really love anything that much? Not really. Not without his help. What about loving your neighbor as yourself? Sounds like a simple kind of thing. It's something that we love to say, that we love our neighbors. We like to think that we love people the way God would have us love them. I think our motives and intentions are usually good and healthy in this regard. But most of us have this problem. We love ourselves way more than we can even imagine. There's not enough love to go around after that to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. So, like the first commandment, the law presents us with something that we cannot possibly do if we're honest with ourselves. When Jesus says, do this and live, what is he presenting the lawyer with? He's presenting him with an impossible task. And that is his point. It is impossible for man to do that. Jesus is the only one who could do this. He did truly love the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. You read the Gospels and you see this. He obeyed the Father. He did his will, even leading him to death on the cross. He did truly love his neighbor as himself. Take this lawyer, for instance, this lawyer that is standing up to challenge the Lord of all creation, the King of Kings. This his own creation is now trying to paint him in a corner. This little one that he saw in his mother's womb has now stood up and challenged him to some sort of intellectual debate. Jesus could have just simply obliterated this lawyer right there on the spot, made a public mockery of him, ruined his career. Whatever he felt like doing. He was man, but he was fully God. He held this testy little guy's fate in his hands. And how did he handle him? With care. With mercy. With grace. What about for us? How does he handle us? Thanks be to God, he handles us the same way. We, just like this lawyer, love to test the Lord with our questions with our worries in life, saying that we trust him out of one side of our mouths, seeking to justify ourselves just like this lawyer out of the other side of our mouths. Like this lawyer who sought to justify himself with this question, who is our neighbor? We kind of like to do the same thing, right? If we could just see our faith as this series of of tasks that I need to complete, well, tell me who my neighbor is and I'll go do it and I'll be really good at it and then I'll be saved, right? If we could just do this, then we'll be better Christians. We'll be able to gather up all that we've done, measure it against what others have done, and see ourselves as, looks like I'm good because everyone else is lower than me. It reminds me when our kids were smaller, they would play in the dirt like all the time. And not just the dirt, but they would like gather up leaves and grass and, you know, from various different places and mix them in bowls and spoons and stuff from inside the house. And they would make all of these elaborate creations, just whatever they could think of. And they would have this bowl of leaves and dirt, and they would call it like, 
soup or a hamburger even or a cake or whatever. Do you want some cake, Daddy? Uh, no, I don't actually. Because <laughs> when I look at that bowl of soup or hamburger or whatever they're saying it is, what do I see? Dirt and leaves and garbage, right? I don't see anything good. We do the exact same thing, brothers and sisters, when it comes to our works. We gather together a pile of our own good deeds, our love for the poor, our Christian disciplines, our great marriage, our successful children, whatever it is. And we look at these things and we call them great, wonderful. And do you know what God has to say about our good needs, our good deeds compared to his greatness? Filthy rags, a polluted garment. Jesus alone loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He alone loved his neighbor as himself. He alone earned salvation. And it's only through him that we can experience that. We're all familiar with what Ephesians 2.8 says, right? For by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of our own doing. It's a gift of God. Our good deeds... Our polluted garment, our absolute best, earns us eternal punishment. Our Lord is the one that showed us mercy. Because of his love for us, we can have eternal life. Do this and live is impossible. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will live. And I think for us as believers, it's an important thing. We need to ask ourselves this daily. Do we believe this? Not as a way to somehow gauge or check our faith. Again, we would be doing the very thing that we're just got through talking about. We don't, we're not measuring our faith against anything or anybody. So many times in our own walks, we try to justify ourselves. And this is the gospel message that we have to go back to. It's, have, it's what we have to rely on. We aren't saved outside the gospel, and there's no growth in our Christian lives apart from the gospel. We continue to need this message day in and day out. We never stop needing Jesus Christ. We never stop needing his gospel, ever. We will never get to a point where we can look at the things that we have and say, hmm, so glad Jesus helped me do all these things. Now I'm on my own. No, we're never going to get to that point. And let me explain too. I mean, if you're a, someone here who's wondering about that, what does that mean? The gospel. I think we have to make sure we understand that it's not piling up our own deeds so that we can be impressive. Because again, when we stand before God with our impressive list of accomplishments, his response is going to be, away from me, workers of lawlessness, I never knew you. Salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. Trust in him and his righteousness and you can be saved. So the second point, Jesus is the one who showed mercy so then we need to then show mercy. So who is our neighbor? Again, the lawyer seeking to justify himself asks this question, who is my neighbor? 
He wanted this hoop that he could jump through. And Jesus, answering the question, as he often did, tells a story. And again, this is a very popular story. It's a popular story even in the secular world. The term Good Samaritan has become synonymous with someone who helps others at their own expense. So when he tells this story to the lawyer and to us, he gives a very vivid picture of what that type of mercy looks like. We have this Jewish man traveling between Jerusalem and Jericho, which is about 17 or 18 miles. Um, And at this time in history, and probably even now, not known as a quiet walk through the meadows, um, the the actual descent from of elevation is about 4,000 feet in that 17 miles. And it's a long, winding trail, many places where bandits could hide and take advantage of travelers. And so that's what happens in Jesus' story. We don't know if Jesus' story is one that he has made up or if it was an actual event that he knew of. Obviously, he knows all things, but this is his story. This man is attacked, stripped of his clothing, basically left for dead. And then we have these other two men, the priest and the Levite, that walk by. And they did what every single one of us would have did as well. Imagine walking through a neighborhood that's notoriously dangerous, like the trip between Jerusalem and Jericho, and you see a freshly beaten body. Is your first instinct going to be, oh, I need to run in here and help? No, it's going to be they're prob- the ones who did this are probably nearby. We're going to run the rest of the way home. We're going to do that. And not only that, consider what these men have to, to go through. You know, these, this priest and this Levite, these are... These are people who are in the temple. They're going to come in contact with what may be a dead body, which is going to make them ceremonially unclean, unable to do their jobs. They have a lot at stake here. I'm not excusing their behavior, but I think we're really quick to judge these guys because it's so easy for us to say, I'm not that. I would have helped him. You don't know what you would have done. You haven't had to do that. So we have to be careful I think a lot of times in my upbringing in particular, we were taught, don't be those guys. Instead, we really should focus on the Good Samaritan and and be him, which we all fall short of. So along comes this Samaritan, and he helps this man with his wounds. Now don't forget, Samaritans and Jews hate one another. In John chapter 8, there's a, a... time where Jesus is being challenged by some people and they challenge him and they can't think of any other insult to give him so they just call him a Samaritan. This is like the lowest possible insult that you could give anybody. So you can imagine Jesus telling this story. Imagine he's got a crowd around him. The priest and the Levite walk by, the good guys continue on and the Samaritan, the bad guy, stops Everybody kind of crouches in. What's the Samaritan going to do? They're using very strong symbolism here. Represented one in the minds of the Jews that probably should have stopped and finished the job that the bandits started. But instead, he does just the opposite. Tended his wounds, put him up in the end, paying his expenses until he recovered. What is Jesus then teaching us here about how we should be the ones who should show mercy? Well, let's look at the services that the Samaritan rendered to the hurt Jew. He offers his money. Well, I think we all like that part, right? Because it only requires us to get out our checkbook. Everybody can do that. You can just pay for him to get better. It doesn't cost me any time. 
I can just kind of throw some money at it. Maybe that's a good thing. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that. However, the Samaritan also offered his time. He walked the man to the inn. He stayed the night with him at the inn as he was there the next morning. He also said he'd be back to pay the remaining balance on whatever the innkeeper needed to do for him. All these things took time. The Samaritan went a step further. He treated the man. He came in contact with him. Actual contact with he was a bruised and beaten body. He bound his wounds. He poured oil and wine, expensive commodities, on his, on his wounds. He even placed him on his own animal, which meant that he was walking the rest of the trip, this dangerous path. He provided this personal touch, giving his own possessions, his own comfort for the needs of this man. Did the Jewish man any, in any way deserve any of this? No. If you're a Samaritan, maybe you think a Jew deserves death or simply to just be left on the road to die. But what is mercy? How did we define it earlier? It's not giving someone what they deserve. Mercy is meeting the needs of another person even though they may deserve much less. Now that's not often how we think of this type of ministry. When we think of giving mercy to others, we often want to put stipulations on it. We may not do this out loud, but we do definitely think things like, well, those people have to be willing to help themselves before I can help them. They have to be willing to help themselves before I'm willing to do anything for them. Now if you were to ask us, do you believe in this, this statement, God helps those who help themselves? Of course we would not. We would want to back as far away from that as we can. That's bad theology. That's horrible theology. But when it comes to our giving of mercy, we think that's perfect theology. That we're only willing to help those who will help themselves first. We have to be careful that we don't fall into that trap. Those attitudes that we have towards the poor, towards the homeless our neighbor who needs help, whoever that is, that should concern us. Why? Because it points to a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel and forgiveness. Matthew 18 tells us a story about this. Jesus talks about this, about a man who owed this unbelievable amount of money to a king. 10,000 talents, which is... I forget, several billion dollars in today's currency. And how the king who he owed forgave him of that debt. It was much like our own situation before God, right? We owed something that we could not pay, but the king forgave us because of what Jesus did. We are forgiven. And what should our response be then to those who owe us anything? Forgiveness, right? But what did that man go and do? Well, this man goes and finds the one who owes him just a few dollars and chokes him and wants to throw him in jail and says things like those people need to pick themselves up off the ground and fix their lives. After all, look at what I've done for myself. We can't fathom that these people exist in a place where all the trying and doing and fixing won't actually work. They need help. We can't fathom that. Right? Because we've forgotten the way that before Christ and without Christ, 
we were that way too. So for us to be the ones who show mercy, we have to remember that we are the ones that have been shown an inordinate amount of mercy. We'll come to that place where we're motivated by the grace of God in our lives. When we're motivated by the grace of God in our lives, we'll want to see others come in contact with that same grace daily. When it comes to loving our neighbor, we'll only be able to do that when we first realize how much God loves us. So Christians, I pray to the Lord to ask how he can show us his great mercy for us daily. Remind us of the mercy that he has for us. Show us so that we can then be reminded of the mercy that we should show other people. In conclusion, there are many things, again, that we think of when we hear the word mercy. Jesus shows us what mercy is ultimately here. He is the Good Samaritan. The story points right to him. We are the one that has been beaten and stripped and left for dead. But Jesus, being rich in mercy, came and healed our wounds even while we were sinners. Even while we were yet his enemies, he came and he made us whole again. Dead in our trespasses and our sins, Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, gives us forgiveness that is unparalleled. Gives us new life in him that will last for all eternity. Jesus is the one who showed us mercy How will we respond? How does he instruct the lawyer at the end of the passage? Go and do likewise. Brothers and sisters in Christ, embrace the love and the mercy that God has shown you in Jesus Christ. And in response to that mercy, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we... So are so quick to remember the gospel when it comes to our own faults, but are so quick, so easy and quick to forget it when it comes to the faults and the shortcomings of others. And so, Lord, help us to not be like the Pharisees that you were teaching against here. We are, on our best days, simply recovering from that. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us. Help us to see the needs of others. They are very plain but we are very blind. And so, Lord, open our eyes that we might see and know the needs of others in our community, that we as a church can know how to best use our resources and our time and ourselves to be ministers of mercy in this community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.